man, we have been talking about joy today. Uh, just think about this. Like, at the end of 2020, we're actually devoting a service to joy. So we are either crazy, delusional, uh, because joy should not be the topic for the end of 2020, or maybe there are reasons for us to have joy. And, uh, and I think if you're joining us online or here, here are, here's a preview of where we're heading this morning. The book of Romans, chapter 15. So we're going to come back to this passage, but I'm just going to give us a preview of it. Romans 15, 13 says this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. So I love that this gets three of our four focuses for Advent, hope, joy, and peace. Um, love is the only one not explicitly mentioned here, even though it's saturating here. So a few questions. Why do I need God to be the God of hope? Like, you know, may the God of hope fill you with all joy. Why do I need him to be the God of hope? Another question. Why do I need him to fill me with joy and peace? I have Netflix. Do I need anything else in life? <laughs> like it seems that way at times, right? Why do I need him to fill me with joy and peace in believing? You know, if he walked up to you and said, you need to be filled with joy and peace? Uh, man, I hope we wouldn't be like, no, I'm good. I'm good. Like, I can't imagine having more joy or more peace in my life. I'm good. Like, why do we need him to fill us with joy and peace and believing? That's, we're going to really dive into that this morning. And then, why do I need the power of the Holy Spirit to allow me to abound in hope? Why do I need all three members of the Trinity to actually be on the move on my behalf for me to feel hope, joy, and peace. So how this all gets in a train wreck is at the beginning in the book of Genesis. So Genesis 2 and Genesis 3 is where we're going to where we're going to start to hopefully get to really not just understanding but get to where we truly in our heart are feeling Romans 15. And we are feeling the joy and the peace that comes from this. And so where it starts is uh, at the beginning where God created Adam and Eve. We read this in Genesis chapter 2. He has just created man and woman in his image. He uses that. He's teaching us. We wouldn't know this just by observing the world. So he had created man and woman in his image. And that means that we are more like him than any other creature. We are more like him with conscious intelligence, with a free will. He created a paradise then for us to enjoy him, to enjoy his creation and to enjoy him forever. And he called this place Eden. In Genesis 2, we read this in verse 15. The Lord God then took the man, and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. I've given you a whole paradise to eat from, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So God had lavished 
paradise on Adam and Eve. Truly had lavished paradise on Adam and Eve. And it shows his kindness too. Like he doesn't like just create this like cardboard box and be like, hey, live in that and you'll have me and it'll be awesome. He actually creates a paradise for them, which shows his lavish grace towards us from day one, from the get-go. He had given them way more than they deserve and there would be no death. There would be a continual relationship with God in paradise. He had given them all they'd ever want, all they'd ever need, all they could dream of. And then he gave himself too. He gave his presence to be with them. There was only one act of obedience required in the relationship to keep it. And I think of like, uh, Patty and I have been married 16 years now. And I think of like, there's a lot of things that I do as a husband to show tangible love and commitment to my wife, you know? And so I think like if Patty and I were to sit down and write down the things that we do to maintain our relationship, there would be way more than one thing on the list, you know? We're faithful to each other. Like we don't go certain places if we're disagreeing. Like we actually commit to to work together and to, to lean on our, our church and to, to like there's, a, there's more than one thing on the list that we would do in our lives to maintain that relationship and for that to be where we're both, we're not robots, like we are freely loving each other. No one is like, you know, chained to the desk here. Like it is, we are freely in this relationship and God has he wants us to freely be in relationship with him. He wants Adam and Eve to be freely in relationship. And he's just like, hey, I'm just going to have one thing that is a thing of trust and, and is an important aspect of obedience for us to be at peace in our relationship. Um, this one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It wasn't like, oh, that's the only fruit tree in paradise. I think there were apple trees, peach trees, all that stuff. And there was just one tree that he asked them and commanded them not to eat from or death would enter the world. They would die. Just think about this. There are days, weeks, months, years of all that paradise had in store for Adam and Eve in their relationship with God. I mean, there were, if, if God were to write down and say, here are all of the beautiful moments we'll have together. Here are all of the incredible things you're going to experience. All those hopes and dreams, that peaceful relationship with God would come to an end. God did not hide, if they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God didn't hide from this. He wasn't like, hey, I've got this one thing that if you do it, but I'm not going to tell you what it is, so good luck. He doesn't do that. He very lovingly says, here's the one thing. I made you with free will. In our relationship, it's going to be a free relationship. No one's going to ever force you into, to, into a good relationship with me. Uh, and obedience in paradise, the ball is in their court. Now Genesis 3, starting at verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden. So so, do you hear he's already being vindictive? He's already trying to cast doubt and he's already trying to, uh, oh, he said you can't eat of any tree? What type of a God is that? Like he's already 
twisting things. And here's what we know. We know from other places in Scripture, Book of Ezekiel and other places, that before a serpent crawled into Eden in Genesis 3, there had been an unbelievable coup in heaven. The only other created beings with consciousness, knowing that you know that you exist, the only other beings with free will are angels. And the angels had a break in their paradise with God. And of the, we think by looking at other aspects of scripture that God may have created over a hundred million angels with free will. And we know only three of them by name. So we know there are kind of categories of angels and stuff, but we know that there's three that have, that we know the names of those three. And that is, that is Michael, Gabriel, and Lucifer were three angels created by God, three of the hundred million or so. And we know that Lucifer was one of the most powerful and beautiful angels that God had ever made and that he was not content with being one of the highest of the angels. Scripture teaches us that he wanted God's spot. He was not content to be a a part of creation even if he was one of the highest of all creation, he wanted to be the center of everything. He wanted God's spot, and he became completely evil, and he convinced a third of the angels to follow him in trying to become God and overthrow God. They were cast out of heaven, claiming to be wise. They became fools. The lake of fire is designed for the devil and his angels. The former angel Lucifer now became known as Satan, or the devil, the, those other third angels uh, became known as demons. And Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, who created all of the angels, John 1 tells us everything that exists was created by him. Without him, nothing exists that, that, that exists. So Jesus, if you're like, oh, who made that, 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 that? Jesus will be the answer as the second person of the Trinity making those things. And he who made this third of angels who made Lucifer tells us this, in John 8, about Satan. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. So Satan takes the form of a snake. Some people think maybe that he's trying to slither undetected into Eden and takes the form of, uh, a, of one that could maybe slither in. His goal is to bring death to those who are loved by God. He comes, the father of lies, up to them in Genesis 3 and continues by saying, he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Satan is being devious. He's being deceptive. He's trying to insert doubt where there was clarity. Um, Did God really say? He's trying to get them even to doubt. Well, what what did he say? Did we remember him right, what he says? And it seems even that Eve gets a little flustered. Because she answers saying that we can't eat of the fruit uh, of the tree or even touch the tree. It's like, no, he didn't say 
you couldn't touch the tree. He just said you couldn't eat of it. So it seems like there's, there's some flustering happening here. And um, then Satan continues, Genesis 3, verse 4. But the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will actually be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. He wasn't MIA. He was there too, complicit in all of this. He ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Satan tempted Eve. Uh, Satan, interestingly, is not around to pick up the pieces of all the fallout that's connected to this. He's gone. And that's kind of how he works. Is, hey, I'll, I'll come, just drop a bomb, and you'll never see me around to pick up all the pieces of everything that happens. It's likely that Adam, Scripture, I think, makes it really clear he's there. He's complicit in all this. God had given them paradise and simply told them, use your free will to not eat this one from this one tree, and they would have a perfect existence with God. Satan deceives, and they don't resist him. We need to resist him. Um, you should always flee temptation and resist him. And sometimes we're resisting him by fleeing from temptation, um, but, but they don't resist, and death has now entered the world. Sin has entered our bloodstream, just as God said it would happen, Death will be part of our human experience. Life will feel like it was designed to be better than this. We'll just wake up sometimes and be like, it just doesn't feel like it's, it's meant to be this way. It doesn't feel like it was supposed to be like this. It feels like it was supposed to be better than this. Um, this is the absolute low point for humanity. If you ever wonder what's the low point of humanity, I don't think it was in the heart of World War II, and all, I mean those were significant low points. But this is where the where the trajectory for all those other things came from is this moment, and hope was lost. All of the dreams that Adam and Eve had with God in Eden in Paradise are not going to happen. The hope of a beautiful relationship with God is lost. The hope of everlasting life without death is gone. Nothing about Jesus. And this is why it's like, is this a Christmas message? <laughs> uh, it is because nothing about Jesus makes sense if we don't grasp the significance of Genesis chapter 3. And I think that's why God is giving it to us right away. He's like, the things that humans need to know from my book, let me get to it right away. Genesis Chapter 3, nothing about Jesus makes sense if we don't embrace how much we are lost in this moment. How much we deserve everything that we get from this moment. The door is open to cancer. The door is open to sin, to war, to rape, to disappointment, to addictions, to depression, to anxiety, and on and on and on in a rebellion against God. Joy was lost Peace was lost, and we have no business talking about joy today um, if the story stops here. Um, 
look where it goes, though, and uh, this, is, this has actually gripped me in a new way this week as I've been studying these passages. Uh, chapter 3, verse 8 says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So here's one thing that's fascinating. Of the three persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, uh, Scripture tells us that we have not seen the Father with our visible eyes. People have not seen the Father. We, We hear from him. We hear from him in his word. People have heard from him, but we haven't seen the Father with our eyes. The Spirit is heard. The power of the Spirit is felt. Fruits of the Spirit well up in our lives, but the Spirit is not visible as well, does not interact face-to-face with humans. The Son, the second person of the Trinity, is the only member of the, tr- uh, of the Trinity that humans interact with as you interact with people uh, face-to-face. So here is what is amazing, is that as Adam and Eve disobey God, the next person who steps into the garden to meet with them is Jesus, the second person of the Trinity. He's always the first mover towards us when everything inside of us, what we earn and deserve is for it just to be like, hey, I'm done with you guys. I'm walking away. Um, You guys can't uphold your side of the deal. And he, Jesus, goes to them, moves towards them. He walks in the garden in the cool of the day. And what do they do? They hide from him. They hide from him. And then Instead of getting a tongue lashing, what we get, what Adam and Eve got, is a promise. I mean, man, like, if, if I'm just feeling the heat of things with the kids, and it's the temperature's turned up in our house, and, and there's conflict in our house, I'm usually not, like, throwing down a beautiful promise. Like, that's not where I typically go, um, and that is where... Jesus typically goes. I've felt that personally in my life. Many of us have felt that, and they don't deserve, we don't deserve any of this. Jesus actually tells Satan, we're not going to go through all of the passages here. We could, it would be really worthwhile, but uh, just for the sake of, of brevity here, Jesus tells Satan and promises to Satan that a man is going to come. A man from the lineage of of Eve is going to come and Satan is going to strike his heel. This is, Satan is going to strike his heel, but this man will end up crushing Satan, crushing his head. Jesus is not just promising them and with the authority of one who can actually pull it off, is not just promising them a future where Satan gets gets defeated, but he is actually the first one to prophesy that he is the one that's going to do it. He is the one that's going to come and that's going to make this happen. 
promising that a man will come one day to undo all that has come from that dreadful day in Eden. The more and more promises over throughout the Old Testament, uh, over, over a thousand years, more promises are added to this. And we just get a fuller, it's kind of like we get initial like, snapshots, and then we start getting an HD version of how this is going to play out. Uh, promises are given to the patriarchs, and that's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, as the nation of Israel is formed. Uh, it's given to David, the greatest king of Israel. These promises all spoke of the one who is coming to restore us, to fix what's been broken, to restore the hope that was lost, to return to the paradise that was all lost. And Romans 15 now speaks beautifully of the anticipation of what we didn't deserve, but as he promises to make it right. Romans 15, starting verse 8, says, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness. So in Satan, there is not one word of truth he will ever speak. It's built into his DNA to lie, to destroy, to deceive, to seek death from anyone loved by God. And here, Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness. And the circumcised would just be a way to say to God's people, to the people who received all of these promises through the lineage of the patriarchs in order to confirm the promises that are given to the patriarchs. So Christ is coming to serve and to confirm all of those promises and say, he is true. Like when he speaks, you can, you can count on that with your entire life and the life of your friends and your family. You can, you can build your life on his promises. They are, the, they are that faithful. And then verse 9, in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. So that would be probably all of us. Anyone who is not in the lineage of the people of God from the Old Testament were, were known as Gentiles. Those that were outside the promises of God. And God in his mercy is saying, I actually, like, I see him kind of being like, come on, get in here. Like, everybody, come on, come on. It's for everybody. It's for, I don't care what your lineage is. I care where your heart is at. In order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. So where Satan came to overthrow, to deceive, and to leave, Christ became a servant to the circumcised, to show God's truthfulness to those who are his people. He's serving them. He's showing how truthful God is to keep his promises. He would ensure our salvation. He would fix and restore the original relationship, getting back to the way things used to be until we quickly messed it up. Verse 9 tells us not just that God's people of the Old Testament, but the Gentiles who were known as being outsiders are now receiving this mercy too. So picture that where Satan seeks to isolate and to destroy and to have people be against each other, that what we see in Christ, the anointed one, is promising that all people may have great joy through him. Verse 9, as it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. Th these are quotes from the book of Isaiah and quotes from the Psalms. 
both written hundreds of years before Jesus came uh, at Christmas. And God has given us so many promises, not that we will be forever depressed, hoping that 2021 is different than 2020 has been. Not that we'll just be depressed, not just having 2020, but knowing that Eden is lost, knowing that death has entered the world. And he's like, yes, it's true. There has been so much pain, so much suffering. But what's also true is we should rejoice. We should be full of joy. We should extol him. We should be full to the rim with joy. Not, Not because we're like mindless, because he asks us to love him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. But with all that we are and all as we get older and older and we understand the extent of darkness in our community with meth addiction and poverty and so many uh, systemic things that we desire to just shine brightly in the darkness, not because of something that we got, but because of what is possible in him. If Jesus is the center of this church, he is going to keep his promises. Verse 12 Here's a promise. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who, who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. So as Jesus steps onto the scene, and as Jesus, as we've seen him come, and the extent of 2,000 years of his coming, and know that he who has come is coming back. And in this Advent, as we focus on joy, knowing that he's saying like, hey, the root of Jesse speaks of Jesse was David's dad, and David was known as the greatest king of Israel. And what he's saying is even the root of Jesse, even though the one that was before Jesse is coming after David, David will refer to him as his Lord because he will be that greater than David. And David's kingdom lasted for just a few generations, really. And Jesus is saying, mine will never end. And we saw that as we preached through the book of Daniel too, and the far greater king than David that Jesus would be. And then that gets us to this verse that we focused on this morning at the very beginning, verse 13 of Romans 15. Now may the God of hope... See that, like Adam and Eve would not have thought of him as the God of hope. But of all that we've seen in Genesis 3, all that we feel, all the pain that we feel that we're exposed to, um, just the things we want to be like and and we fail, um, that he's like, know me as the God of hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. And man, you could read this verse, and you could be like, okay, um, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. And man, that's, that's an honest place to be, to just be like, I don't think I can get joy and peace from him. Um, I don't know if I can believe that. And man, I say like, Thank you for being here. Um, thank you for hearing the, the truths of God. I believe that even if you, uh, Ryan will share this in a little bit, 
a great place to be is just be like, I don't think I believe this. Should I believe this? It just ask him. Hey, if you're not playing hide and go seek, if you actually want me to believe this, would you show me in some way that I know it's clear that I can, I can put my family's life on this, I can put my life in this, and I could abound in hope. So you, you may resist this, and I think, man, you're at the right place to be considering the claims of Jesus. I'd love to, to interact with you around this. You may hear this and be like, I don't, God would have to do a miracle for me to feel that. For me to truly feel joy and peace where it's like I'm overflowing. You know, when you, I've met some people where like they are filled with so much joy that I'm like, they are either filled with joy or they're the most fake people I've ever met, you know? And then you're around them for a while and you're like, I think they're that joyful. And it's like, how do you get this? Because I am more like an Eeyore type personality, you know? And I'm going to kind of always gravitate towards this way or whatever it may be. I think we could look at that and be like, man, for me to ever feel that, would, it would take supernatural power for that to happen. And I would say, yes, like that's what he's talking about. And so I think a great prayer from this is like, Lord, if that is true, that you are the God of hope and that you can fill me with all joy and peace, even in December of 2020, so that, and look, this is where the power, so that the power of the Holy Spirit by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. What this verse is telling us is what our response should be is like, Lord, would you do that? It shouldn't be like, I'm going to go home and try really hard and try and make that happen. No, like God is the one who has to make this happen. What our response is is to look to him and say, God, would you make that happen in our church? Would, you, would our community feel this joy and peace that can only be explained by your power and by you implanting it in us. And that is us coming to him. Like that is us looking to him for the things that he has designed for us to flourish. So man, let's not try harder. Let's actually embrace the God of hope in this season. Give your life to the one who has been pursuing you since that day in the garden when he promised Satan to destroy his works. Jesus brings us hope, peace, freedom from our sin, filling us with all joy and peace, transforming us from the inside out to look more like him by the power of the Spirit. So, man, would we just place ourselves in his hands? Maybe for some, it's going to be the first time you've ever done that. Uh, man, I'd love to talk with you, pray with you about that. Others, you may have been following him for 30 years, and it is not, like, today is a day, once again, to look to him and be like, you have been faithful to me for 30 years, and today would you fill me with your joy, and would you fill me with your peace? And uh, coming to communion is a very natural, tangible way for us to commune with him. He actually designed this. This was his idea for his church to commune with him. And so we have, we have wine and juice, obey your conscience there. And the only warnings in scripture around taking this is for people who are followers of him not to come too quickly to the table. So you don't have to be, you know, like of this lineage of faith and stuff. If Jesus is your savior, you've given your life to him, you put your, your, your trust in him for your salvation alone, 
uh, this is a way that we commune with him. And I would say, if you haven't given your life to Jesus, uh, this is really not going to mean very much. What I would encourage you to do is to give your life to Jesus. Uh, then come, come to the table. Uh, but for those who are followers of him, uh, we are instructed to, to uh, man, just open our life up to him. He might be like, hey, here's some sin I'm showing you because I love you. Repent of this. And it might be a time to, to, to do some work with him. Let, let him speak to us. Let him change us. But then what we'll, we'll do is we'll come forward. We'll just take all the elements together, and it's a cup within a cup with bread underneath. So take one, and then we'll stay standing, and we'll take it as family together. So let's come. Let's respond to him.